It's Tepo Waffle Time! Welcome to Tepo Waffle. With me and you. Troy and Steve. Yeah, today our topic is board work. Uh, yeah, work can be boring. No, board work. Yeah, I, I get bored of oh, work. Your, your face. Your face. Anyway, so the, yeah, the, <laughs> this topic is actually a fairly boring one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but teachers, I, I feel teachers misuse the board a lot. Um, what do you mean misuse? Yeah, so that's the question. So when you walk into a classroom, this is the scenario. When you walk into a classroom, the, the defining feature of a classroom is desks, chairs, and a board. Yeah, and, and, and the board's the focal point. And the board's the focal point, yeah. So in a, in a math or science class, perhaps that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but even then, I, I would disagree with that. In a transmission-based lesson, where a teacher is uh, focusing on filling students' minds with interesting and useful knowledge for their future, uh, a board is is a fairly important part of what's going on. Possibly, yeah. Um, and if you Google teachers' blackboard or something like that, you'll see there's always a photograph of that that really great photograph of the professor in the university with three mm. boards just full of equations. Okay, yes, yeah. Okay, so to me this is misuse of, of a board. Of a board. Yeah. So in experiential classrooms like language or learning to play the guitar or something like that, um, a whiteboard doesn't actually serve much purpose other than demonstrating a, an important point. Uh, yeah, I would say the board's uh, there for reference. You put something up there so that the students can refer to it during the lesson. Right. Uh, that might be something as simple as, uh, I don't know, you have t- t- two types of sentence structure and one needs an am in it and the other one doesn't. And you, when the student makes a mistake, you can go, no, no, remember, it's, it's on that side. Yeah. Something like that. All right, so I, I want us to pull out five principles for good board work. I, I, used, uh, no, I used the word good there with, with some trepidation. Okay. Uh, because uh, um, it's difficult to define exactly what good means in a classroom. But, for example, um, I believe that because the, f- the focal point of a language classroom is not the board, it's the other students, Yeah. Um, the board in a language classroom should not be a central attention getter. Okay. Okay, it's a place where you put up some flashcards, it's a place where you can put up some key language, like you say, um, it can be a scribble pad if you want to play a game of some sort yep. where there's pictures. Um, but the board's use needs to be minimized in favor of the students interacting with one another. Okay. Uh, how, much, how much time do you think you spend writing on the whiteboard, you personally? In a one-hour class? Yeah. Mm, very little, I think. I think perhaps I underuse the board. Okay. Um, I only use the board if there's something that the students need to remember for the whole lesson. Yep. And I use it a lot for presenting my context. Okay. Um, I put up a flashcard or I'll draw a picture of... of Bob. Ooh. Oh, there's a phone. Um, I'll put a picture up of Bob. There's the phone that we lost. <laughs> um, put a picture up of Bob and, and tell the story of how Bob did whatever he did. That's that's yep. what I use my right. present that's what I use the board for. During the practice and production stages of the lesson I hardly use it at all. Now one of the reasons why I think that might be a problem is because when when I do use the board, I use it very fast. Um, and so my board writing is not very beautiful. 
Okay, so when when you started this topic, I thought that's what you were going to talk about. Uh, Beautifulness on the board. Yeah. Mm, legibility. Okay, well, well, maybe that's our second principle then, is legibility. Because obviously, one of the factors talking about board use is can everybody see... See right and, the and read and yeah. If so it's there for reference, can they refer to it or not? Is it big enough for everybody to yeah. see? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's one of the problems I have as well. Is I write small. Okay. Um, um, I don't write too small, but I'm I don't have the neatest handwriting. My handwriting is not particularly neat. Yeah. Is that a problem? Uh, I say yes, it's a problem, but I, I'm quite aware of the fact that I'm not perfectly neat, so I make sure that I'm legible. So if I'm writing, then I realize that. That letter that you wrote there is so sloppy, you can't tell what letter it is. I'll actually erase it as I go, as I write. I'll erase that letter and, and rewrite it. Um, so I just focus on being big enough so that people can see and being legible. And um, The legibility f- thing uh, probably depends on how old the students are. In a young learner's classroom, you're... Your letters need to be very legible. very neat, yeah, yes. because the students are going to copy that form. Yeah, um, and you need to be neater than the students are. Um, uh, with with teens and adults, probably legibility is they they already have their own handwriting style. Yeah, okay, and they can guess. Um, all right. So our principle is be legible, uh, be big enough, big enough. Don't use it too much. Yes. And well, so a uh, follow-on is um, I, my definition of enough. Okay, I, I'm pretty much on your side. I don't use the whiteboard very much. I do it quite a bit in the beginning when I'm setting things up. I, I do use it for quite a few games, especially in um, like early morning adult classes. I like to start off with getting all my students standing up and moving around a bit, and sometimes that is getting them to use the board for some sort of activity to, to get the ball rolling. Uh, and then for the rest of the lesson, my board work is a reference. But uh, there's one thing that I've had to change quite a lot about my board work, and in recent years, I actually spend time in my lesson planning, planning what am I going to write on the whiteboard, where am I going to write on the whiteboard, what stuff I write on the whiteboard has to be left on the whiteboard for the rest of the lesson, what stuff can I just write up there quickly as a reference and then erase it to use it for something else. Okay. And that's um, it's because of mobile phones. As so many of my students wait and then take a photo of the whiteboard and in some of my lessons, the amount of time that I've spent figuring out how do I get all this up here and leave it here because I know my students want to take a picture of it later. And they take a picture and they share it with each other. They have like a you know, a classroom chat group and they do they put that picture in their group chat. Yeah, okay, so there's two things that that uh, I can draw from what you've just said there. First of all is the students' beliefs about the board, which might not match what we're talking yeah. about here. And the second thing is planning the board. Yeah. Um, uh, in lesson planning, the planning of the board, particularly if it's a grammar lesson, I think, and, and even for vocabulary lessons, planning where the words are going to go and how they fit on the board is probably a, a good idea. Yeah. So, for example, if you're doing um, a lesson on, on adjectives, participle adjectives, for example, okay. deciding which 
side of the board where you're going to have the ED endings and, uh, you know, the... the, the ED diff- and the ING and yeah, the non-ED. Di- and yeah, and um, the ones in the middle where it can go both ways and, and that. Um, and having that in your mind first so that when you start putting words up, they're it's in some sort of order that the students can follow. And it's not all chaotic and messy and you're... you're you're expanding, expanding, uh, expanding, <laughs> expending your mental energy while you're trying to teach. You're going, look, oh, where do I write this? Yeah, which yeah. is very distracting. And um, I've I watched a lesson once where a teacher used uh, she was she was teaching weather. Yeah. Um, and she divided the board into words that end in y and words that don't end in y, and she she planned the whole lexical set around how to how to help the students see the difference between sunny and sun or hot because we don't have yeah. hotty for example so okay. she did she did that and it was very it was very clear at the end of it for the students that these are this kind of these fit into that kind of sentence and these fit into this kind of sentence and yeah. that was pretty but that had to be carefully planned you yes. can't just do that on the fly um, unless you're very experienced so I, planning I'm very experienced I still can't do it on the fly for, for quite a lot of them I was recently doing, uh, was it? Some sort of relative clause, I think. And the students, it was a writing class, the students needed, uh, they needed a reference to know um, which relative pronouns are uh, followed by a verb, which one's uh, a subject and a verb, which one's uh, an object, I can't remember all of it. Yeah. But it, it, it wasn't actually the lesson aim. Uh, the lesson name was some other sort of writing. I was writing a comparative essay, and the, there were a lot of mistakes with this, and I had to on the fly make it up. You know, a, a table so I could show. Okay, these ones work this way, and these ones work this way, and these ones work both ways, and, and I started writing it up and then I had to erase it and, and rewrite it. I, I couldn't do it on the fly. Perhaps that's not a bad thing, though, because as, you, as you're making the table on the fly, the students, you can recruit the students, if they're good enough, to help you to decide which of the words go in which of these sections of the board. Um, for example, when I'm teaching uh, on the training course, when I'm teaching writing, yep. um, I'm showing the trainees how to use writing in the classroom. And I get them to brainstorm all the different kinds of writing that we do. And then we make two charts. We make two separate parts uh, of kinds of writing. And I put them on two ends of the board. So stuff like a shopping list goes onto the left-hand side of the board, but writing a resume goes onto the right-hand side of the board. And we, okay. we differentiate between formal and informal stuff that you're writing for somebody you know versus stuff that you're writing for somebody you don't know. And then I, that's basically process and product writing. Okay. Um, but I can... I can um, I can get them to do that themselves, to make those two lists on the opposite end of the board as a co-constructed activity in the classroom. And that's a, a planned, planned board work? Well, I, pl- I mean, I just plan the two ends of the board, yeah, with the two kinds of writing. What goes into those lists, the students then decide for okay. themselves. Um, sometimes they make lists that I don't agree with, but the, the process of, of making those two lists can be quite instructive, I think, for them. Um, one of the one of the interesting ways of using the board, which I, I also is planned but fairly loosely planned, is dividing the board into three sections. So on, we used to have a teacher who, on the one end of the board, would put up her goals for the day. <clears throat> um, today we're going to learn this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to have this game, and then she she had a list of what the events of the lesson were going to be. This was a young learners teacher. 
Yes, she was. Yeah, she was. And then she ticked them off as, as they were done. And some people really loved that. Uh, but she wasn't teaching young learners. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was with her. Te- she was teaching in a... We were both teaching in a computer company. Okay. Um, in IBM, we were doing this, the staff that go out and fix computers. And we were doing a course, a language course for them. And um, they liked it. They wanted me to do it too. And, of course, I don't do that because uh, I like my lessons to unfold and I, I like the inductive I, yeah. I like inductive lessons where the students can have some, some um, can dictate what's going to come next to some extent. She didn't. And, yeah, so that, that's one way of using the board. And then she, the second part of the board was the scribble pad where she would just scribble whatever came up at that. And the... the, the the other part of the board was what she wanted as the reference for the okay. le- rest yeah, of the lessons. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So she had a board plan, but how the board actually were, got used was was contingent on what was going on in the lesson. Yeah, I, there's a whole other topic in there about uh, dictating, predetermining with your students what the lesson aim is go- uh, going to be and what the sequence is going to be, but yeah, we'll keep that for another time. Let's talk about the students' beliefs then. Okay. Um, so we, uh, my argument here is we should not use the board a lot. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, uh, my argument is not really about the board. It's that the board is a very teacher place. The board is the teacher's realm. Yes. And if you're using the board a lot, that probably means that you are the focal point of the classroom a lot, which means uh, the students aren't getting to do very much. So if if well, except copying what's on the board, yeah, and taking sorry, photographs of it. Yeah, and I <laughs> I could have just photocopied that for them. Yeah, but what is the students' belief about what the board is about? What's on the whiteboard is permanent, and it's a rule, and you keep it, and you copy it down, and you write it up, and yeah. yeah. So the the upshot of this is a teacher who's not using the board a lot is not teaching anything useful. I. Okay, I don't agree, but from the student's perspective, perhaps. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. From the student's perspective, if if the board is underused, does it mean that the teacher is not teaching anything? Yeah. Okay. I can I can see. If you ask the student after the lesson, "What did you do today?" and then uh, without a some sort of reference book for it, I can see that feeling quite vague. Yeah. Um, I did a lesson a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was a revision lesson, end of course thing. And I have these very, very complex sentences that the students must try to follow. It's like, uh, uh, find a person born in the same month as you and write down their shoe size. And you know, there are relative clauses in there and there are imperatives and there are... Uh, question forms and subject verb agreement it's all it's very complicated and another teacher said it looks like they're having fun I mean I don't know if they're learning anything but they're definitely having fun and I said well no it's got relative causes and imperatives and questions but I wonder what the students thought we were doing did they think we were having fun and playing a game or did they think we were revising or, or using complex language, or mm. because that was a very board-free lesson. Did you tell the students what the goal of the activity was, or no. did you say let's play this? No, I said uh, okay. So we're gonna see if you can 
I don't, I don't know how I phrased it, but we'll see if you can use use this English or not. And I put up an example on the whiteboard, and then as a class we had to work out the procedure that would be needed to complete that. And was it a complex procedure? Uh, each one was a different form, and it was always complicated. Yeah. So this is this is a question that can be leveled at, at task-based teaching, task-based Learning. approaches yeah. Yeah, in, in general. So in a task-based lesson, you don't actually have specific target language, or you have a, a multitude of, of possible target language. But the task is the focus. We're, we're going to finish this task, and in doing this task, you're going to... Well, I mean, the teacher said, in, in doing this task, the students are going to use all of this language and they're going to learn this thing. And um, so, for example, today we're going to make sandwiches. This is a task, yeah. okay? And in doing so, we're going to learn how to cut the bread and, and divide the loaf into as many slices as we can. And we're going to... There's all sorts of different things here. That, and then we're going to make a menu and we're going to sell it and there's prices. and So from the sandwich... There's an absolute multitude of, of possible learning yeah. outcomes. When the students leave the classroom, what have they actually learned? Well, we don't know. And every student might have learned a different thing. Yeah. Um, and every one of those students come away with potentially slightly different learning outcomes because you haven't really directed it. Uh, now, that's great, actually. I, I think task-based learning is a... I, I, I'm a big fan of it, but... Uh, at the same time, I don't do it a lot. I do it, but not a yeah. lot. Yeah. Well, the, the problem the problem is the student's perception of what's happened in the classroom because yeah. they go home and say, well, we learned how to make a sandwich today, not we learned how to use the, the present perfect tense. Or, um, and so there's a potential that you're distracting from the language focus of the lesson by creating non-learning, non-language-related tasks. Okay. So we, we have this student belief thing. So... Um, I've had a, I've had this a couple of times where I've said uh, students have said to me, "Can you write it on the board?" And I haven't. I don't want to write it on the board because that's not the focus of the lesson. And that I, I know that as soon as I write something on the board, the students that all go, the focus. And then yeah, then they write that down and they learn it and and think it's in the exam and you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, there are some students who really do need stuff written on the board. They need the visual cue. Um, Okay, so the board, the board work, the principle we have so far is uh, be neat, be legible, be large, uh, don't plan overuse, plan it, mm. and that it's important for the students. I think that the teacher needs to be aware that whatever, whatever we believe about the board, the students might not believe the same thing, and we need to be sensitive to how they want the board to be used too. Okay. Um, there's another thing. Okay. <laughs> How we stand? Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so in theory, uh, we we don't want to always have a back to the students. Uh, we especially no, don't want to be blocking the whiteboard while yeah, we have a back to the students. I think so. you said that too too gently. I think that one of the principles of teaching must be never to, to turn your back to the students, if you can. While you're addressing them, yeah. While you're addressing them, yeah. If they're busy with a task, sure. Uh, Okay, but that makes writing on the whiteboard very complex. So um, I, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of the over-the-shoulder thing um, because you end up turning around. I'm a fan of the facing the class and stretching out your arm to the side and kind of writing with your, your hand backwards. But that's, uh, that's not something you can just stand up and start doing immediately. 
Yeah, the, the, the way that I think of this is um, if you're playing tennis. So if you're playing tennis or, or most sports, you keep your shoulder to your opponent. Okay. okay so you keep your, your body in that position, you know. Um, and if you think of the class as your opponent in a sports sense, okay. keeping your one shoulder to the class allows you to write on the board with your other hand. Yeah. Um, whether, whether you're crossing your body, writing with your right hand across your left shoulder... Or, or outstretched. Is, is this even easy to follow? I, I don't think so. I don't okay. think anyone's Anyway, I mean, the idea. thing is that you want, you want to make sure that you're not looking at... You want your body's not facing the board when you're writing. You want your shoulder to be facing the board. If okay. At, and then you're probably keeping your action zones open. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's also the a lot of teachers who say, yeah, but my board work looks atrocious when I write that way. Um, well, go back to principle number one, <laughs> which is legibility. As and, but teacher, which one am I supposed to be doing? Uh, yeah, so we had Sunay on yeah. our previous... So with Sunay, because she teaches young learners... Um, I see how she handles it. She writes on the board either before the lesson begins or she writes on the board while... While they're doing the task. While they're doing the task. Or if she needs to write on the board while she's teaching, she gets the students to spell as she writes so that they're yeah. all engaged in what she's doing. So she does have to turn her back to the class to write neatly and beautifully. And But her board work is ridiculously neat. I mean, like, it, it looks like a font Yes, almost. but, the, but she, it needs to be because she's teaching that age, that age where that that model of neatness is, is necessary. But also, she doesn't write in front of her. She's got, even though she's got it back to the class, she's writing with her arms stretched out so that all the students can, can see, see what, what she's, she's writing, writing while she's writing. And she's looking back over her shoulder. I, I, I don't think so. I don't, maybe. Okay. Uh, but she's got her back. She, the principle of turning her back to the class, she has to break that to keep that neatness. Okay. Um, with me, because I'm teaching older students, my my need for such neatness is is reduced, in my opinion. I okay. don't think I need to be that beautiful. Um, I think I need to be faster with older students because they've got to, we've got to keep on on the the pace of the lesson up. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't follow the neatness principle. I follow the don't turn my back to the class principle because I want my students to stay engaged with me and and, and the target language. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we have now uh, a whole bunch. A whole bunch. How many are we up to? Yeah, yeah, six. Okay, so th that many. Yeah. All right. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I actually I don't like the whiteboard. I mean, I I do like using it, but I don't like the traditional perception of a whiteboard. A whiteboard just screams chalk and talk. Yeah. And uh, for me, the whiteboard. Sometimes the whiteboard is the equivalent of like a, a PowerPoint. I'm going to stick something up here for you so you can look at it. You know, and, and that's it. And I love getting my students to write on the whiteboard, especially early on when they're a new class to me, so that we break that, you know, this is my area and this is your area. Yeah, I think that that's a really good way of handling the board, is getting the students up to do the work on the board too, because that frees you up from, from all these potential pitfalls and the students stay involved. Um, and getting multiple students or all the students up if you can if your whiteboard's big enough um, means that the the board becomes a, a joint scribble pad rather yeah. than your territory I, I think that's a great idea if you've got enough pens okay uh, the, the last thing I want to ask about and this I, I don't actually have an answer to this so it has to be your opinion uh, 
there's a lot of people who have this argument about taking notes. The students should take notes. And I write on the whiteboard and they should be taking note of what I write on the whiteboard. They must take notes. And nowadays, the students, a lot of students aren't taking notes. They're taking a picture of the, the whiteboard. Uh, do you care? Well, this is a question of process and product. Um, in the classroom, are you interested in the process of, of them learning how to do something? Or are you interested in the product of now they... What did they get out of it? What did they get out of it, yeah. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty process-oriented person. When, when I teach something, I don't care whether they do it well or not but at the end. I just care that they've been introduced to this question. Um, I, maybe a little bit like this podcast. Uh, nobody's going to listen to this podcast and suddenly have wonderful board work. It, sure. Um, but raising the issue and making the question, you know, putting it out there, showing the students the process of, of going through a certain <clears throat> um, procedure, whether or not they've got it right, my, that's not my interest. So the, the product, the knowledge that is on the board is not my, is not my interest as a teacher. Um, it's not getting, to do with it. Yeah, getting, getting it onto the board and, and negotiating whatever it is that needs to be negotiated and arguing about it. And um, when I come into your classroom sometimes, after you've been teaching, your board is full, absolutely jam-packed uh, full of I, stuff. Especially teacher training. Yeah. There are some days that... Yeah, which yeah. which um in a in a way is maybe bad form, but I know that what what has gone up on the board has not been you writing it. You've thrown ideas around. Everybody's made a decision, and you've put it up in a particular place. Um, and that's uh, strangely enough, that's also a big byproduct of the the mobile phone picture thing, where there are times when I write something on the whiteboard, and four hours later, it's it's going to still be there. Um, it's going to be up there for reference for a four-hour class. Yeah, that and means that your board is constructed over over, over the period of over hours sometimes, and the the planning that it took to figure out well where do I write this so that in, for the next four hours I still have enough space to actually use the whiteboard. Yeah. So in your classes, you've you've got the process of building up the board and the product at the end, which they can take a photograph yeah. of. I'm always a little bit surprised when students get up and take a photograph of the board in my lesson. I, I used to be, uh, but now I've just... For me, it's a given, and it has become part of my lesson planning. Mm-hmm. Plan a lesson with a some sort of grid layout or something like that that, that makes it... Mm. that it's there for the students. I think with PowerPoint, since you brought that up, I think with PowerPoint as well, a lot of people take photographs of PowerPoints. Um, but I don't use PowerPoint in that way to, to show knowledge. I, I use my PowerPoint presentations when I do do them to build up an argument. So here's, here's the problem. Here's an example of, of the problem in action. Here's my first... Thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, here, this is my first iteration of my solution and it didn't work. And here's so-and-so's uh, quotation from this book about this problem. You're obviously and not using this in a language classroom. No, You're, uh, you're well, presenting research. Yeah, yeah so I, I, nev- I, I really hate PowerPoint. But I do have this story. of um, I was teaching for a ministry, a ministry of education project. Uh, and one of those, we need your PowerPoint. No, the students came. So there was me and a Thai teacher teaching. So she was Dr. So-and-so and I was Dr. So-and-so and we were teaching next door. And I was doing all these communicative activities and she was doing the traditional... And one of the students came to me and said, oh, Dr. So-and-so, such a good teacher. And I went, yeah, yeah, she is. And, and the student just 
ignored what I was said, and she uses PowerPoint. And it was obviously such, it was dripping with um, suggestion. <laughs> so, so what I started doing for, for that particular, because I obviously wanted a PowerPoint, is I started putting up the instructions and an example of the game that we were going to play on the PowerPoint. So okay. the PowerPoint was on there, and now we're going to play a game. And I would have the game, and that was slide four. And then slide five was, let's talk about the game. What, what did you find out about Frank? And then I would, you know, use okay. that. So I just put my lesson plan basically onto PowerPoint. <laughs> and, the students, and the students were happy because now it was well planned and I had a PowerPoint. And, um, okay, yeah. fair enough. Mm. I'm, I'm not a big PowerPoint fan. But, I, I um, despise PowerPoint, but not, not because it's, it is inherently bad, because it's... Uh, it, it's so lazy. Uh, and it's generally very very badly used what I do like though is those visualizers um, I really do like visualizers where you can just put the book down that, you know and uh, an overhead projector it's an overhead projector but okay. that it sees what you put down um, okay. I use those quite a lot when I have them those are great really yeah okay. um, because the worksheet that they've just done you can put it down and, and talk about it together and you can put the book down and say okay do quick thing four and then do the answers together um Okay. Okay. Visualizer. Right. All right. So at the, at the end of the day, uh, I hope that this board work. I hope it's. I hope you're not bored. Yeah. So before we end, uh, a word from our sponsor. Okay. So today's sponsor is pencils. Which kind of pencil? We. Uh, pencils with a little eraser on the end. Okay. So okay. today's podcast is brought to you by pencils made by Stadler. Stadler. Yes. Okay, let me, let's just um, talk about how wonderful these are. Um, first of all, they can be sharpened. Okay. I really like that. Um, and the fact that they can be sharpened means that they, they stay sharp for a long time. Okay. I, I've noticed that a lot of students... Uh, I, I used to think of pencils as a very uh, primary school thing and pens are, a, you know, pens are an adult thing. Mm. But I noticed a lot of students favor the pencil. I use I use my pencil a lot for marking too because sometimes I make a mistake and it's easily corrected, um, and if I mark with pencil, students can erase what I've marked, which means that they actually read it. That's a pretty good thing. Okay, so then uh, the the there would be a principle of a penciling, which would be make sure that your pencil isn't too sharp because man, it's hard to erase if it's really sharp. That's right. So a slightly slightly not sharp pencil with an eraser on the back is the the. The, the point of the principle. Right. Thanks for listening. Get yourself a pencil. Enjoy listening to our next podcast. About uh, not pencils. Have Fall of Fall is proudly brought to you by the non-stop bufflers, Troy and Steve. For any questions, comments, complaints, or queries, you can email tefalloffall at gmail.com or visit www.tefalloffall.com.